Father, as we've heard from your word that you are worthy of all our praise, the creation itself is called to bow down and worship you. Lord, help us to understand what it means to worship you, have lives that are devoted to you. I pray, Lord, as I speak, that you'd help uh, me to be clear. I pray, Lord, that uh, all those who are listening will be uh, um, have distractions removed. Lord, help us to be present in this place right now. Amen. Well, what do you love and why do you love it? That's the starting point. What do you love and why do you love it? Uh, you know, long walks on the beach, uh, holidays in the mountains. What do you love? Um, one thing I love, um, it's no secret, is Back to the Future. I love it. Uh, just, it just gives me joy, you know. Um, it's, uh, I watch it r- regularly and I know how it ends. I don't expect it to change. Uh, um, but I just enjoy the ride, I enjoy the characters, I enjoy the actors, I enjoy the music, I enjoy the whole ride. I love it. What do you love and why do you love it? Um, I I suppose um, you'd be the odd one out if you didn't love ice cream. Um, Maybe your body doesn't love it, but your head and your mouth do. And uh, But when you say you love something like ice cream, you don't just then wear a necklace of an ice cream around your neck, do you? You taste it. You enjoy it. Uh, you can't wait for the next experience of ice cream. We love things and we love people because we, we know them. Uh, we understand who they are. It's not enough to just have a, a photo of somebody uh, that, that you've, you know, a photo of, uh, you've cut a photo of someone out of a magazine and you've stuck it in your pocket and you say, I love that person. But you don't know them. Uh, that's a different kind of problem uh, that we don't deal with in this sermon but uh, we love things we love people because we know them we get to know them today we're talking about loving God a healthy church is a church that is loving God and I want to ask this first of all uh, not only do you love God but can I start with do you like God do you even like him do you know him uh, today's topic is about loving God We don't love God by trying to be in his presence. Okay, it's time to love God. Let's just, let's sit still and try earnestly. We're not going to love God by um, singing song after song after song after song until eventually our emotions um, well up and we can say, yes, I'm finally loving God. No, we want to love God by actually liking him, which will turn into loving him because we know him. There's the sequence. What he is, oh, sorry, who he is and what he's done will help us to actually enjoy God. So we've got the topic of loving God. You might prefer the word enjoying God uh, as we lead into the topic of worshipping God. So we're, we, we're starting with our text today, which is Romans chapter 11, the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. And as, as Paul has written this epic uh, journey theological piece of chapters 1 through to 11 which many people would would happily say is one of the most profound theological writings in the universe ever Uh, what a statement that is Uh, Paul's just finished penning 11 chapters of amazing understanding of who God is and after Paul has accomplished that what does he do he just he sings praises to God this little this little snippet uh, that comes from chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, is, God's, is, is Paul's praise of God. Therefore, with all this in mind, I just 
praise God. What else, what else could we say? He says, uh, oh, the depths of the, of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Oh, how amazing God is. Who God is is what he proclaims in verses 33 to 36. You know, some people will think very little about God because they think that God is unknowable. You know, okay, might believe in God and, and we'll give him a little bit of thought, but I won't go too far because who really knows? Who really knows? But that is just so wrong. That is wrong thinking because God has made himself known. God has, God has actively, his intention, his initiative to reveal to us everything that we need to know about him so that we can worship him properly, so that we cannot um, set up an idol that's fake, that's of our imagination and worship it, but that God says, no, this is who I am. This is where you need to um, direct your attention. Those people who think we won't we won't dwell too much on God because who can really know? Well, God is not unknowable. He's very, uh, he's very knowable. He's revealed everything. He's revealed himself and given us everything that we need to know to make our faith in him concrete so that we don't have blind faith that we're leaning into him, but we establish our knowledge of him based on what he has told us and we can be sure of. Humans, however, as you will probably know, humans are more likely to fall in love with a lie than to seek out the truth. Uh, this, is, uh, this is so evident at funerals. It's so evident at funerals that the truth of what Jesus said about eternal life is stuck in the corner and what is celebrated is all sorts of other things. Um, made up fake news to help just calm our grief. Well, Jesus gave us truth in order to calm our grief. But our, the human heart is more drawn to shun God. I'm the king. No, thanks. Thanks, Kirk. I love that. I'm adopting that. Sin. Um, he is knowable. He's not unknowable. He's very knowable. And, friends, he's actually not boring at all. And this is, I think, what Paul's point is here in verses, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out. It doesn't mean unknowable. He just means it's just never-ending. When you dive into the treasure chest of God, you're diving into something very, very deep. It's a bit, a bit like a body of water, and you dive in and you try to swim down to the bottom and you just can't get there. When it comes to knowing God, there's no end of knowing him. You could put on a scuba tank, scuba gear and dive down. Now, you could actually put, get yourself in a nuclear-powered submarine and dive down, 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 and you wouldn't reach the bottom. Now, I need to shift that analogy because, to me, that's, that grasps something, that how, how deep is the knowledge of God. But that analogy, for me, says I'm, I'm trying to get down to the knowledge of God. Now, what about, what about let's use the ice cream uh, example again what about a bowl of ice cream that's just unending and so you get to the bottom not by just swimming down to it but you're eating through it and you're trying to reach the bottom of this of this knowledge of God so the, the depths of God's knowledge is not that it's far away but that it just goes on forever it's never ending someone has w once said I don't know where I heard it um, someone once said that the knowing God will take forever and so that's what we look forward to in eternity we're not going to get bored in heaven we're just going to keep on knowing him and knowing him and knowing him. He's not unknowable. He's very knowable. He's, the treasure chest is deep, so let's dive in. There's the point. Knowing God is rich and full and unending, so let's dive in. 
rather than stand on the side of the pool and think, well, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Let's dive into knowing God. Uh, he's, he's not a textbook. The Bible's not a textbook, but neither is God, like going to uh, Wikipedia and just searching up something you want to know, and Wikipedia just spells out, sh- uh, gives you a short description and a picture, and you go, great, now I know, I know something about God, that's enough. But God is not like a textbook, and he's not like, uh, he, he can't be boiled down to simple definitions like omnipotent, omnipresent, or omniscient. These words are good words to use of God to understand something about how vastly different he is to us, but they don't help us to know him. They are textbook definitions. No, God is actually a doing God. You notice in verse 33, he says, How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. His judgments and his ways or his paths point to his will and his actions. We get to know God because of who he is and what he's done. He's not like a tree that you can just walk up to, touch, cut in half, examine, take some fruit off the tree and then walk away. He is our God who lives and acts and, and, and has his will. And he, re- he reveals himself to us and he wants to be known. So verse 33, Paul is saying that the treasure chest is deep, so dive in. In verse 34, he says the mind of God is second to none. Verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? And the answer obviously is no one. There's no one who stands next to God and advises him on what he should do next. He doesn't have a mentor or a coach. He is a great God whose will is perfect. And so we ought to listen to him. That's, that's our response to that bit of information. Did you teach him how to create the world? No. And has he asked us to solve the mysteries of the universe? No. We come to him for both. The treasure chest of God is deep, so dive in. The mind of God is second to none, so let's listen to him. He is our counsellor. No one counsels him. And then in verse 35, he's no man's debtor. Verse 35 says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? God owes us nothing. He doesn't sponge off us. We live on his created earth. We we eat his produce that he has designed for us. The water that quenches your thirst after you've mowed the lawn or done some hike, you know, some 10-kilometre run, that beautiful cold water that you think, I couldn't have anything greater than that right now. That is what God has purposed for your body. Isn't he amazing? He's so, he's so knowable. Uh, the knowledge of him is deep. He's the greatest counsellor that you could have. And we owe him everything. He owes us nothing. Um, verse 36 says that, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And there's Paul's, what they call doxology, his praise. He's glorifying God. He's magnifying God. You know, um, John Piper uses this analogy. He says, we are, not micro- we are not microscopes, we are telescopes. A microscope looks at something very, very, very tiny and blows it and magnifies it. But telescopes look up into the sky and they look at things that are actually really, really, really big and they bring them into our vision to depict how big they are. We're not microscopes making God bigger. We are telescopes that 
sit back and, and absorb and, and bask in the glory of who God really is. Our task is not to make God bigger than he really is. We are to understand God to be as big as he really is, to, for our minds to grasp that and grow in that. So you can see the great contrast here that I've set up straight away. We could be in one of two extremes. We could live our life just going, meh, God, okay, I'll see him one day. We'll see what happens then. Or we can engage our life with the one who has created us, who has made himself known, who has given us everything for life and health and safety, who has given us wisdom and a direction to go in. He's given us purpose. He gives us everything. And we can lean into that and love him and grow in our knowledge of him and never get bored of knowing the one who knows everything. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, John, Jesus said these words, this is what eternal life is. And you lean into this, don't you? When Jesus, our master and our Lord, our, our teacher, when he says, here's the definition of eternal life, you lean in, you get your pen out, you want to write it down. John 17, verse 3, he says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. And we can start that today. And so a healthy church, a healthy Christian on our own, is one who's leaning in and listening to God, opening up the Bible, and, and growing in our appreciation, our love, our like of God, and growing that like into a love, that we enjoy him, that we spend time to stop and to ponder, just as Paul did at the end of his wonderful writing, he stopped and pondered and even wrote down, how amazing is our God? How amazing is our God? God is knowable and he's actually exciting. He's actually exciting. Uh, he's not just poetry on a page. He's the God who acts. And so loving God is about loving not just who he is but what he's done. Uh, Paul then goes straight on from chapter 11 into chapter 12, obviously, and he tells us from chapter 12 to the rest of the book of Romans, he now says this is what you need to do in response to knowing who God is. Now that we've, now we've praised and understood who, understood who God is, we actually want to respond in our lives based on what we've seen him do. He says in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's intelligence, in view of God's creation, in view of God's awesome talents. No, he says, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, we, we, le- we, we listen in to what God has done and what God has done for our world is to save us. True and proper worship is a response to, to who God is and to what he has done. So what has he done? Well, I'm not going to preach a sermon on all of the book of Romans right now. But uh, you could do exactly that, read Romans. But here's a, here's a, a dive in, one verse to help us out. Romans 6.23 says that, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There, that's it. There it is. The wages of sin. What we have coming to us as humans who have shunned God, said, I'm the king, no thanks. The, the, way, the, the wages of that, the, your earnings, your salary for shunning God is, is judgment. The wages of sin is death. Death in this life and the second death to come. But... How do we escape this? Well, we're told in Romans 6.23 that the free gift of God. How much clearer can we get? A gift that God is giving to you and he's giving it to you for free is eternal life through Jesus Christ. 
There's the gospel. Now, you, you need to read all of Romans to unpack that and see how true that is and how unescapable that logic is. We can't escape clause one, that we're all sinners. And we can't escape clause two, that without God's mercy, we are damned. That's what God's done. In view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, you know, it baffles me why people would want to remain in the dark about God rather than just ask, seek, and knock. Uh, Jesus said that, didn't he? Ask, seek, knock, and I'll open the door, and I'll come in, and I'll eat with you, and you with me. It's an invitation that God op- opens up for the world, and it does baffle me why people um, want, to, want to close their eyes and just remain in the dark and not listen to this. But, friends, it baffles me why we, and I include me in this we, it baffles me why we aren't captured and excited by his mercy. It baffles me why we're so busy with life that we don't daily stop and just praise God. As simple as that. What's the free gift? The free gift is is eternal life in God. Was it free? It's free. What do we do? How do we pay for it? We don't. What do we do in return? What do you do when someone gives you a gift? You say, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for life. Thank you for this world. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation. Thank you that I don't come to church nervous of whether you have accepted me. Thank you that as I get on with my life, as, as, as a roller coaster ride that it is, as messy as it is, as worried and sick with doubt that I am, that you are a solid rock that I stand on. Thank you. Thank you. This is our proper act of worship. He, he goes on to say that we ought to devote ourselves to knowing him more. Chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship, devoting yourself. And you can imagine this image of an act of, um, of sacrifice, Take your mind back to the Old Testament. You you bring an animal to the altar and you lay it down and you slaughter it. But we are being asked to be a living sacrifice. You know what's hard about living sacrifices is that you put them on the table and they're always tempted to jump off and run away. That's that's our human heart. We want to run away. But we, God says in Paul says in response to God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, devote your life now to um, to. lives of holiness and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper uh, act of worship. Uh, We're to be all in and devoted to him. Being transformed, he goes on in verse 2 to expand on this. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So notice that when he talks about holiness in verse 1 and pleasing to God in verse 1, he goes on immediately to talk about the way that this looks like. It looks like not just following rules and regulations, but it's actually about engaging our minds in knowing God, knowing who he is and what he's done. Get off the freeway. Our proper worship is to get off the freeway of life and plunge the depths of the knowledge of God, plunge the depths of knowing God, pursue him. This is our proper worship. This is actually loving God. It's not a feeling. I mean, it becomes a feeling, but it's not, as I said before, it's not about just getting ready, preparing yourself to, I'm going to have a session of loving God right now. 
going to come to church and, boy, I'm going to love him. No, it's growing in our knowledge of him and understanding of him so that we, we adore him and we praise him because not because we're praising something that's, that's made up in our minds but because we're getting to know him, just like you get to know your best friend. And the longer you spend with them, the more you like them. And this is what God invites us to do. It's not just knowledge. It's knowledge that affects you. It grabs you. And your relationship with him grows. You learn, friends, to enjoy God. You practice it and you enjoy it. Shallow Christians make terrible worshippers. Shallow Christians make terrible worshippers. They might pretend, turn it on for a bit, then, and then head off. But friends, when we are engaged with God to know him in spirit and in truth and looking forward to spend an eternity with him, that heaven, while you might be looking forward to seeing one of your loved ones, you're actually more excited to see God, the one who gave you your soul, the one who breathed life into you. And so this leads me to the, actual, the, 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 the joy of knowing God. What, is that, what does it look like? Well, I've got two stories that come from the scriptures. Well, one's a story and one's uh, another piece of Paul's writing. It, back in Luke, I'll, I won't read it, I'll just paraphrase it. You can go home and read this passage. In fact, on the back of your summary or your sermon outline, there's a take-home lesson. You might want to go home and, and read this piece of scripture and, uh, and answer the, these simple questions. But there's a story in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 21, where Jesus had sent off his disciples uh, to, on mission. He said, go out and, and, and uh, preach the gospel, which is the kingdom of God, the, proclaim the king has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. And he gave them um, the power and ability uh, to cast out demons and perform miracles. And when the mission was over, they came back, and this is where the story begins in verse 17. They come back and they say to Jesus, oh, we, we were, we, you should have seen us. We were casting out demons. It was exciting. This was amazing. And they were, they were excited about what they just participated in. And what does Jesus do? You know what? As a re- reader, as someone who's familiar with reading the Bible, even I would be tempted to, to guess what Jesus would do next, and he would rebuke them and say, well, you've, you've lost the plot here. That's kind of what Jesus does, doesn't he? He steers us away from our shallow thinking and towards a much wiser way. But actually, Jesus celebrates with them. He says, that's amazing. I saw Satan fall from the sky, and you were, I, I saw what you were doing, and it was great. Do you see how both parties, both sides are celebrating? Human, the disciples of God and God himself to coming together and saying, this is great. You're preaching the gospel and, and, and the kingdom is growing because of what you've done. And then Jesus says, but, and, and Jesus celebrates, he prays. But then Jesus says, but here's what's even more important. Don't rejoice that you've able to, able to cast out demons. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of heaven. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Jesus turns around and says, you know what, in your life, you might tell me a story every morning to you about something great that's happened to you this week or an achievement you've done or just a relief of something in, in this world has come, and I can praise and celebrate with you. But always we want to celebrate that isn't it, isn't it the greatest thing that the, that the God of the universe has your name written and put aside forever so that one day you'll collect your, your, your little... A, they have stickers in heaven, you know. That's why, that's why we practice it here, because you come in and you put a sticker on, and you go, well, this is that you, you know what to do when you get to heaven. There'll be a table with your name on. But Jesus says, rejoice, because you know, because of Jesus' death on the cross for you, and you've, retu- you've repented and believed in that, that the free gift has been given to you. The life 
for eternity is waiting for you. And friends, what a relief that is. I've often thought that the word joy is very closely related to the word relief. That joy comes from a, a release of knowing that something has sorted out. You know, that you've, you've, you've been reunited with a friend, relief. That you've escaped some sickness, relief, there's joy. That your name is written in, in eternity is relief. It's comfort. It's joy. It's joy that, you, that no one can steal away from you. But then uh, Colossians. That you could read that story for yourself in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 21. But then in Colossians chapter 3, we have these beautiful words. He says, uh, in verse 16, he says, uh, Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom uh, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So just notice that the message of Christ, the, the message that Jesus is king, that he's taken care of everything, that his death on the cross has paid for you, the, the, the cross of Christ is what Paul preached to the Corinthians, and that's all he wanted to know, and that's what we want everyone in our church to know, isn't it? The cross of Christ, forgiveness, with God, made possible through Jesus' sacrifice, let that message dwell among us richly. Let it be not something that people learn when they come to the church after three months' time or after four visits. Let that be the message that everyone receives when they encounter our church. And let it be something that flows out of us uh, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I know that when we sing together in churches, in church... Um, it, it actually doesn't matter um, whether, you, whether, you, whether you're lifted through the music. One of the, one of the primary things that we do in our church, in, our, in this church, which is, is shared with other churches, uh, is that we're singing theology. We're singing the, the goodness of what God, who God is and what he's done. So I've just spent a good 20 minutes saying that to love God more is to focus on who he is and what he's done. And so, yes, the quality of music, obviously we want the quality to be always increasing, improving, but the essence of our music is the words that we're singing, and we're not singing it just to our hearts, we're singing it to the hearts of the person to your right and to your left. And we're, we are not only that, but we're also singing it to the people, who, the guests who have just visited us for the first time, and they're listening to what we sing. Singing is not merely doing some music together. We are... Um, we're seeing the word, we're, we're doing the word in song, uh, word in song. Uh, we're proclaiming, we're celebrating. You know, very few places in this world you can go to and have a group of people stand up and, and, and declare together in unison what they believe. It's, it's not common, is it? Uh, you might go to a football stadium and then they, the anthem of the team comes on and everyone sings that wildly. When we come to church, we are teaching our, reminding our minds, we're teaching our hearts, we're teaching one another, and we are even proclaiming to this world that we believe in Jesus Christ, in him, in Christ alone, is what we're proclaiming. So when we sing, we are singing the truth, we are letting the, the message of Christ dwell among us richly, and we are, as verse 17 says, we're overflowing with, we're giving thanks to God the Father through him, and that is our proper act of worship whether we sing or whether we serve. He says, whatever you do in word or in deed, 
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him. So whether we're singing or whether we're serving, we're doing it in, re- in response to knowing God and what he's done. So a healthy church is one that's not simply doing, doing this, then we're doing that, then we're doing this. These are the things we do at church. No, a healthy church is one who is learning about God and is growing in our like for him and growing in our love for him, being devoted, being transformed not by the world that we live in, but feeding our minds and our hearts with the knowledge and love of God. We're going to get off the freeway and plunge the depths of knowing God and we will worship. We will. We will resolve. We will worship the living God with joy. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are not a stranger to us. Lord, help us to know you more. Help us to learn how to read, our, read the Bible, to read it in community. Lord, when we sing, help us to reflect on the words that are being presented to us. Lord, help us to grow in our minds, being transformed by the knowledge of you. Father, we look forward to seeing you one day face to face. Help us to to engage in our relationship with you. Thank you that you began this by sending the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to lay down his life for us, for our sake, so that while we are sinners deserving of condemnation, you have given us the free gift of eternal life. Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us generously, unconditionally. We thank you for storing up our name for the future. And I pray, Lord, for all of us at different stages of our, of our understanding of who you are. I thank you for those who are, um, who are old in the faith. Lord, I pray for them that they would be an encouragement to us. Lord, for those who are young in the faith or still inquiring, still seeking who you are, we pray, Lord, that our church will deliver the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ so that all will grow up in maturity, being devoted and worshipping you in spirit and in truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.